Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. It is great to have you on this Thursday. We are presented by The Grid, and I am decked out in Boston Red Sox gear because Rafi Devers made it official. Ten years, $313 million contract. I am a happy Red Sox fan today, and that is not something that I've been able to say in quite some time. Approximately a year. If I'm being totally honest, but we do have a packed show for you guys today. Not not a whole lot of baseball. I just want to throw that out there and and, and rep my Red Sox, rep Rafi Devers. We're gonna talk Lamar Jackson, uh, why he is playing his cards absolutely perfectly with the Baltimore Ravens, uh, considering their desperation without him going into their playoff matchup this coming Sunday night against their division rival Cincinnati Bengals. We'll also discuss Dak Prescott. Obviously, the conversation last week has been about the interceptions going into this playoff matchup against Tampa Bay and what's at stake in that one. I'll discuss that. Uh, Sean Payton, you know, there, there, there's officially five head coaching openings. There could be two, possibly three more if you read some reports uh, by the time this this whole head coaching uh, carousel is is, is concluded. Uh, I've act, I don't I think the team that Sean Payton needs to go to, who will obviously give him an interview if, if he gets an opportunity, I think it's kind of obvious. I'll discuss that later in the show and at the end of today's show. I did this last year. I had a blast doing it and was fairly accurate. I think I was like 8 for 14 on them last year. No team is perfect. Okay, we we know no team even the 18 the the, the 18-0 Patriots ended up losing the Super Bowl to the Giants, right? No team going into the playoffs is perfect. From the last team to get in, the Seahawks and the Dolphins in the AFC and then uh in the AFC and NFC and then the top seed, whether it be Kansas City, whether it be the Philadelphia Eagles, everybody's got flaws. And I'll discuss each team's flaw going into the postseason. All four, 14 teams, what will be the number one reason that any of their seasons come to an end before hoisting the Lombardi Trophy? Looking forward to do that. You definitely will stay tuned for that later in the show. But first, uh, <laughs> I can honestly say, you know, Monday night I did something that I've never done before in my entire life. I can say that because for the first time, in my college football watching life, I turned the game off at halftime. 
during the national championship game. I'm sure some of you might have too, unless you're a Georgia fan, unless, and God bless you if, if this applies to you, a TCU fan. Uh, I'm sorry you had to sit through that. The Georgia Bulldogs won their second consecutive national championship by a final score, and this is actually real, guys, 65-7. to That is the largest margin of victory in the history of the national championship game. I believe I read that it was the largest halftime deficit or largest halftime margin since like the 40s or something crazy. It was a long time. Or no, I think it was 2002, 2003. It's been a long time since we've had a team be up 31 points at the half in the national title game. And there's a lot of takeaways from this from Georgia's perspective. Because I'll get a lot of people are kind of dogging TCU right now. Uh, and by the way, I was one of those people going into the playoff. And I'll sort of come to their defense later on in the segment. But I want to focus on Georgia because they are the champions. They are the first back-to-back national champions since Alabama did it back in 2011 and in 2012. So, for Georgia, first of all, uh, Kirby Smart, who's done a remarkable job as the head coach of the Bulldogs. Multiple SEC uh, title appearances. He's got two of those uh, from 2017 and 2022. He's now got two national championships in three appearances. Okay, getting to his team to the playoff. Constantly, you know, Georgia, we always looked at as as the team that can never win the big game. We're like, yeah, they're talented, but yeah, you know, it's Georgia. They're going to mess it up, right? They get this long championship drought since 1980. They're going to find a way to mess this thing up. It goes to show you how in college football, when you get the coach right, and he's able to recruit and develop talent, put together a remarkable uh, coaching staff who's able to develop these young, talented five-star kids, there's, there's, there's the sky. The sky's the limit, especially in, with NIL money, right? We always looked at Georgia, right? They, they're, there's, they're, they're in Athens. They got a, a great fan base. I've always said this in this show. I'm a Tennessee fan till the day I die. I have never met a Georgia fan who's a jerk. I'm just, that's just my personal experience. I've never met a Georgia fan who was at, a, a, at least uh, civil, at the very least. Okay, the, the, they've all been incredibly friendly. Cannot say that about other fan bases in the SEC, but. For Georgia, for Kirby Smart, yes, we can say it now. He is the king of college football. With all due respect to the GOAT, the greatest who ever did it, Nick Saban. And I'm not even saying Alabama's run is over. Bama can absolutely win another national championship. I don't think it'll be this year because if, if their starting quarterback is that Milrow kid in replacement of Bryce Young, I mean, they'll have to get somebody either in the transfer portal. I know they've got a freshman quarterback, I think, from the state of Tennessee who could start for them next year. We'll see what their quarterback situation is. But college football's turned into the NFL where if you do not have a remarkable top-tier level quarterback, you cannot and will not win a national title. But what I thought was remarkable about Kirby Smart. And, you know, it, it's it's something that's the reason I say he's past Nick Saban is because he's doing something that Nick Saban is curiously not doing, that Nick Saban has always been known for doing, and that is adapting and adjusting. So Nick Saban won, I think it was three national championships before the 2015 season. I think it was 2009, 2011, and 2012. Okay, so he got three national titles. That's outstanding. And obviously, he had the one previously at LSU. So four national titles. But the sport changed around 2015, 16, where you you cannot win unless you have a top 10 level college football quarterback, or you can at least develop your quarterback to be just that. 
And Nick Saban's like, okay, I'll go ahead and win this national title in 2015 with Jake Coker at quarterback, but then I'm going to go get Jalen Hurts. And then I'm going to go get Tua Tungavailoa. And then I'm going to go get Mac Jones. And then I'm going to go get Bryce Young. He adjusted, he adapted, and as a result, he won in 2015, 2017, uh, and in 2020. So he's, he's dominated the sport. And he's kind of, he was in the national championship game last year. He was in it in 2018. He was in it in 2016. This is what he does. But as you notice last summer, when he got into that beef with Jimbo Fisher about the whole NIL thing, about, you know, we don't need to pay our players to come to Alabama. Now, do I believe that? Not really. But he's not really embracing NIL. And when you see some of the successful coaches in college football, Deion Sanders, Josh Heupel, Kirby Smart, they're buying into it. And that's the lay of the land. NIL has changed the game, right? you you got to be able to endorse guys getting paid, guys with an opportunity to, to – you'll be able to compensate themselves for their remarkable performance every given Saturday. And Georgia, God knows they got plenty of guys like that. That Javon Carter kid, if the Bears keep their number one pick, they're probably going to take him. He, he's he's a talent unlike anything we've ever seen before, right? Brock Bowers next year's draft is going to be the first tight end taken. He's going to be a first-round pick. He's outstanding. Georgia's offensive line is stacked. Georgia's secondary. I really like Kelly Ringo. He's a good cover corner. He's kind of a ball hawk. And somebody I'll have to admit I was wrong on. You know, I admitted I was wrong on Monday about Dan Campbell. I got to admit I was wrong about another individual today. And that's Stetson Bennett. Now, have I changed my opinion that he should not have been invited to New York over Hendon Hooker? Oh, I have not changed that opinion one iota. However, I can't just look over the fact that in the last two national titles for Georgia, obviously that's four playoff games. He's been the MVP of all four. He went toe-to-toe in the semifinal game with C.J. Stroud, who could be the first overall uh, quarterback taken, either him or Bryce Young. But C.J. Stroud is going to be a top-five pick in next year's draft. He's an outstanding talent. And Stetson Bennett went throw-for-throw with him all game long. And then last night... And something, and it drives me crazy watching Georgia or watching a defense's game plan for Georgia because TCU made the same make the same mistake that Ohio State made, that LSU made, that unfortunately Tennessee made. Account for his legs, dude is really mobile. Okay, just because he's not, you know, Lamar Jackson or even like Tim Tebow, we knew Tebow to be very mobile. Doesn't mean the dude can't move around a little bit. I mean, you look at last night or sorry Monday night, he had 39 yards and three carries. Okay, threw for 300 uh, yards to the air. Four touchdowns. Had a QBR. You know, QBR of 0 to 100. Yeah, uh, Stetson Bennett had a QBR of 99.5. You know, it's, it's not much better you could do than that, right? He makes, dare I say, NFL throws. He's mobile. He's poised. The moment isn't too big for him. Now, albeit some of, the fa- some of that is the fact that he's 25 years old playing college football. We understand that. But if nothing else, the experiences of being a walk-on, playing junior college, that's prepared him. And that's what's, when we talk about the best quarterbacks in the NFL, most of the great ones didn't come from Ohio State or Alabama or Clemson or Michigan or any of these big powerhouses. Patrick Mahomes went to Texas Tech. 
Josh Allen went to Wyoming. Now, Joe Burrow went to a powerhouse LSU, but he played college football until he was 23, 24 years old. So, going through what Stetson Bennett went through, to get to this point, to, I mean, last year he was solid. He's, he's a nice, nice little quarterback. Now, are we sure he isn't a second, third round pick? Are we sure about that? I get he's got the talent around him. Am I saying Stetson Bennett's going to be a franchise quarterback? No, I am not. But would I take him as sort of a project to be my backup? Couldn't hurt trying. It is the most important position after all. And as Kirby Smart accurately pointed out after the game, Stetson's been running a pro system. Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator for Georgia, has NFL ties and runs an NFL offense. And Stetson Bennett ran it to perfection. Not all quarterbacks can say that. Georgia's had, I mean, Georgia had, Georgia had Jake Fromm is fine. He, you know, he didn't blow you away. He was fine, right? They had JT Daniels a couple years ago. Yeah, he's all right. They went to the next level once their quarterback play improved. And that's what Stetson Bennett can take all the credit in the world. Now, maturity issues, a little bit like to, to a lesser degree. It's a little bit what I worried about with Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is an out-of-this-world talent. Maturity, I, I have serious concerns about, almost like Baker Mayfield. He's way more talented than Baker was coming out of Oklahoma, but I have concerns. Same with Stetson Bennett. Don't think he's as bad as Baker or nearly as bad as Caleb Williams, but you have concerns in that regard. Uh, and the NFL tends to humble you very quickly. But <laughs> every throw that needed to be made, Throughout this two-year run, every big drive, every big run, dare I say, he made it. Georgia's known for having the best defense in college football, and boy, did they show that Monday night, holding a very good TCU offense to seven points. He had to score 42 points last week to beat Ohio State. That's what a great college quarterback, and that's, could it translate to the NFL? Sure it could. Running a pro offense the way he has? There's plenty of talent in the league. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm much higher in Stetson Bennett today than I was uh, before, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, Grady Edwards says, what's up, Grady? He says, I think Stetson Bennett will get drafted. Uh, he'll be a fifth to seventh rounder. I'd be shocked if he went undrafted, as would I. Uh, he's A.J. McCarron all over again. The only reason I would have him over A.J. McCarron is because the game is different now than it was when A.J. McCarron was the guy at Alabama. Like, what do we know Alabama for when A.J. McCarron was there? Man, they had some great running backs, okay? You know, they had T.J. Yeldon. They had, uh, oh gosh, what's that guy's name? Uh, Trent Richardson, okay? They had Mark Ingram. They had plenty of guys out there. I don't, actually, I don't, I don't know Mark Ingram played with A.J. McCarron. My bad. But great running backs, amazing offensive lines. Alabama led by defense. Like, the game has changed where if Stetson, I believe if Stetson Bennett had played at Georgia to the level that A.J. McCarron played at Alabama, I'm not so Georgia's sitting here as the back-to-back -back national champions. Again, I'm not saying he's a franchise quarterback. I'm, I'm not. I have, I have no doubts about C.J. Stroud. Uh, I have little doubts about Will Levis. The only thing that concerns me with Bryce Young is his size, but I really like Bryce Young. Hennon Hooker. But if we're talking about that Tier 2 level of quarterbacks, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's, he's better than some of the second and third rounders we've had the last few years. So, I mean, heck... You hear a lot of comparisons between him and this other guy. Put Brock Purdy in a good situation in San Francisco. You can get to the two seed. You can 
We'll see what happens with Brock Purdy this weekend and moving forward, but you can possibly win playoff games with him. I think if Stetson Bennett goes to a bad team like Indianapolis, I think he's screwed. But if he goes to a team, if he's the backup in Miami, he's the backup of Miami, develop, good offensive coach, weapons, I could see it working out. I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar, but I could see him, uh, you know, I could see him pulling it off. Uh, Grady says, then again, maybe Josh McDaniels will shock the world and take him at number seven uh, like Tim Tebow. Yeah, that was one of the worst draft picks in the history of football uh, was, was taking Tim Tebow in the first round. Yeah, he, listen, I wouldn't put it past Josh McDaniels. And I'll talk more Derek Carr tomorrow. I know he basically said goodbye to the Las Vegas Raiders on social media. Uh, I'll, I'll talk more about, uh, about DC4 tomorrow. But as for TCU, so first of all, you can't say enough about TCU, TCU getting this point. They were picked to finish seventh in the Big 12. Think about it. They were finished, picked to finish seventh in the third best conference, fourth best conference in college football right now. Obviously, we know the SEC is king. I'd probably say the Big Ten, Pac-12 are kind of vying for that number two spot. I'd probably give the Big Ten the advantage because they sent two playoff teams, so got to give them credit where it's due. Pac-12 third, Big Ten 12th, ACC last. ACC didn't come close to sending any, anybody to the playoff. For TCU, we'll see where they build moving forward. I like Sonny Dykes' law as a head coach. I think he was more than deserving of winning coach of the year this year. Hats off to him. But when I look around the rest of college football and, and, and sort of the, the narrative of, in the media has been, see, this is why TCU never belonged here to begin with. For the record, full transparency, I said if TCU lost and USC lost, this is going into the playoffs, this is a month ago, a month and a half ago, I said TCU should not have made the playoff. If they were going to lose to Kansas State, which of course they did, and if USC had lost to Utah, I was want to say I would not put TCU in the top four. I think if we're talking about the best teams, I think it's Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama. But what I'm thinking about from this standpoint is, and I've been saying this for the longest time, the gap between the best team, obviously Georgia, and the third or fourth best team, TCU. Oh, folks, it is massive. Let's say Michigan hadn't shot themselves in the foot, beat TCU, gotten a national title game. It wouldn't have been 65-7. to Are we sure that they would have really put up much of a fight against Georgia? Come on. You saw the way those defensive players were swarming all over the field, and this is an explosive TCU offense. Michigan's a great defense, and TCU went up and down the field on them. Max Duggan was amazing. You think it would have really made that much of a difference? Folks, my Tennessee Volunteers were number one going into Athens. If it weren't for a late face mask penalty on fourth and a mile, Tennessee would not have even gotten to 13 points. We got mollywhopped by Georgia. Okay? LSU put up 30 points against Georgia and still got hammered. Oregon lost by 46 to Georgia. Is it, dare I say, two things can be true that TCU probably deserved to be in the playoff. They proved that by beating Michigan. And two, Georgia was just head and shoulders above the rest of college football. As I said throughout the, sh the show this year, every time Georgia had the opportunity to prove that they were the kings of college football this year, they proved it. Opening day against Oregon, beat them 49-3. Later on down the road, they gone through a little bit of slump. They barely beat Missouri. They struggled with like Kent State or something. But number one Tennessee comes into their building. And George is like, uh-uh, 
No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's cute there, Tennessee. I'm a Vols fan, by the way. That's cute what you're doing there, Tennessee, scoring points and everybody. We're going to hold you to 13. We're going to beat you by a couple scores, 27 to 13 in the game. Wasn't even that close. Okay? We get an opportunity to prove it in the SEC title game against LSU. Our defense has a down game. Yeah, and we basically put up a 50-burger. Against TCU in the national title game, they scored 65 points. And had Stetson Bennett stayed in the game, they probably would have scored 75 points. Are they the 2019 LSU team? I don't think so. But are they one of the most dominant college football teams of the last 20 years? Yeah. Throughout the season, they proved it. I believe I read that they're the fifth team to finish 15-0 in the history of college football. There's a reason for that. They're better than everybody. By the way, for the record, if Ohio State would have gotten in, are we sure that game wouldn't have been tight? I mean, Ohio State got, got destroyed by Michigan at home. And so this is what you're going to see, and this is why it's a process with NIL, with the expanded playoff, which I think NIL shaped. Once, I think, I, is it 2024, or I'm sorry, 25 or 26 when the 12-team playoff is going to come in? Sometime in the next three years or so, three, four years. When the new playoff comes in, you're going to see a lot of blowouts. Like you, Like, number one is going to destroy number nine, depending on how the seeding goes. They're, they're going to dominate them. But once NIL evens out college football, not, not as much as maybe you would hope it to do so. But once NIL steps in, right, with these players getting compensated for their play, when you have these big national brands, I think Deion Sanders is going to build Colorado into that in the Pac-12. USC went from four wins to, what, 11 wins this year? Tennessee's back. We'll see what happens in Miami, Texas. I'm skeptical about both. Oklahoma, but LSU's back with Brian Kelly. Alabama's always going to be Alabama. We understand what Georgia brings to the table, the back-to-back defending champs. And also, by the way, something else can be true. SEC's just better than everybody else. Like, it's, it may sound arrogant from somebody coming from the South, but darn it, it's true. The, the SEC is better than the rest of college football. We recruit better, we have better coaches, we have better stadiums, we have better fan bases. Frankly, we have better weather outside of the Pac-12. Man, I heard my man Josh Heupel, head coach of my Vols, saying, if you want to get the playoff right, just put the top four SEC teams in. Probably saying it half-jokingly, but still, you saw what Alabama did to Kansas State, right? Kansas State beat TCU. Alabama destroyed them. You saw what Tennessee did to Clemson. Clemson won the SEC, uh, ACC title game. Eh, Tennessee destroyed them. LSU beat Purdue, who was in the... Big 10 championship game. Gave Michigan a good run for their money. Yeah, LSU scored like 60 on them. Eh, see what Georgia did to the playoff TCU Horned Frogs? They beat them 65-7. to Those are the four best teams in the SEC. They're better than everybody else. As they, we say in the SEC, it just means more. That's how it goes. Grady Edwards says, I hate to admit it, but Alabama should have been four. I would, listen, Grady, I would have rather seen Alabama at four and Ohio State at three. Because then what we've gotten is SEC versus SEC, Georgia-Bama, and then Big Ten versus Big Ten, which is probably the biggest rivalry in college football between Michigan and Ohio State. I think that would have been outstanding television and certainly closer games, although we did get two close semifinal games for, all, for, 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 you know, for what it's worth. And Bama obviously would not have gotten beaten 65-7 to by Georgia, but they did lose to Tennessee, and they did lose to LSU. I think Georgia would not have 
spank Bama, but it would have been fairly comfortable. Right? Quarterback, you're going to give Bama the advantage there. Bryce Young, there's nobody in the world outside of Athens, Georgia, that thinks Stetson Bennett's better than Bryce Young. Uh, coaching, it's a wash. Saving, smart. Uh, coaching staff, I give the advantage to Georgia. Uh, front seven, definitely Georgia. Secondary, Georgia slightly. Weapons, Georgia. Running game, Georgia. Offensive line, Georgia. So it would have been a matchup nightmare regardless. Not 65-7 matchup nightmare, but still uh, a comfortable margin of victory for, for Alabama. But I don't – here's what I'm saying for, for – I know I'm taking a long time this subject, but for those out there saying this is why TCU should never be in the playoff again, then I say this to you. Then don't ever let a non-SEC team back in the playoff again. That, that, that's how it goes. The last four national champions have been SEC teams. LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Georgia. I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. By the way, you know, a couple of years before that, it was Alabama. A couple of years before that, it was Alabama. A few years before that, it was Alabama, Alabama. You know, LS, LSU won with, uh, uh, forgetting the coach's name who used to coach there, uh, uh, Les Miles. They won with Nick Saban. Just means more in the Southeastern Conference. Moving on now to the National Football League. And to a story that has been going on for the last month or so is Lamar Jackson's health. Okay, it's been about 40 days since he last played when he got injured in the first half against the Denver Broncos uh, for the Baltimore Ravens. And a report came out from uh, Adam Schefter today that said he has still not practiced with the team. Now, I know the discussion over the last month has been about Lamar Jackson's contract, his health. Does he have the leverage? Do the Ravens have the leverage? Every week that passes, it continues to show that, well, two things. A, when you don't have a quarterback, there's a hard ceiling as hard about how far you can go. And B, when you wait to pay a quarterback, it comes back to bite you. You know, you could look at one instance in Dallas, Texas. I'll talk about Dak Prescott later in the show, where... Dak wanted $30 million. Dallas said, take a hometown discount. Dak wanted $35 million. They said, we'll offer you $30 million. Dak wanted $40 million. They said, we'll give you $35 million. And then when Dak Prescott got hurt, week five of the 2020 season, and the Cowboys offense sputtered after that, after dominating the league with Dak Prescott. They're like, oh, crap, we, we kind of have to pay Dak. We, we probably don't want to give him $40 million, but what's our best option? Andy Dalton? We got to pay Dak Prescott. And they did. On the other side of the coin, look at Washington. They didn't want to pay Kirk Cousins. 2016, gave him the franchise tag. Gave him the franchise tag again in 2017. Let him walk in 2018 to Minnesota. A few years later, Minnesota has made the playoffs twice and won a playoff game, by the way. Has a chance to possibly win another one this year. And Washington has been in the playoffs once, and they've had 11 different starting quarterbacks since Kirk Cousins. Or maybe, I'm sorry, 12 different start, uh, starting quarterbacks since Kirk Cousins. Is Kirk a superstar? No, he's not. Is he elite? I don't think so. But he's better than the other options. So for the, the, the Baltimore Ravens, and I think it's not just that they're losing. It's the way they're losing. Where it's, because I've talked for the last two, three weeks. I've said, man, Lamar, without Lamar, the Ravens offense can't do anything. Right, I, I gave the stats. Do I have it right here about the Ravens' offense, how they've sputtered without Lamar Jackson? Okay, here we go. 
With Lamar Jackson, they're 45 and 16. Without him, they're 8 and 13. With Lamar Jackson, they average 28 points a game. Without him, 20. With Lamar Jackson, 384 yards a game. Without him, 336. With Lamar Jackson, a QBR average of 65. Without him, 48. So the numbers are pretty clear. The winning, the stats, everything. What I have not mentioned about the Ravens' inability to score without Lamar Jackson. Okay, so without him, they've scored 10, 16, 3, 17, 13, 16. But what about what their defense is giving up? That's what makes it interesting. This defense that got off to a horrible start this season, but then they traded for Roquan Smith, who, by the way, they gave him a big long-term deal. Their secondaries fixed itself. Kyle Hamilton's playing well. The Baltimore Ravens, without Lamar Jackson, they've given up 9, 14, 13, 9, 16, and then they had a 27 point, uh, 27 points given up to the Cincinnati Bengals. But you got to realize, Anthony Brown, poor, I felt bad for Anthony Brown, you know, third string quarterback just getting thrown into the fire there at Cincinnati, but he turned the ball over a lot in his own territory. So that one, even the Ravens defense given up 27 points. They were just put in impossible positions where they're set up in the red zone, where it's like, man, you know, best case scenario, we forced three. So for the Ravens, you sit back and look, okay, timeout. We're an organization that has had, by the way, the Ravens haven't been around, but what, 30-ish years? And yet they've had some of the greatest linebackers ever, obviously spearheaded by Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs. Now they've got Roquan Smith locked up for the long term. They've got a good secondary, Kyle Hamilton. And so you sit back and look if you're the front office, like, okay, our defense is set. And we can't score points. We, we can't. We, we like our coach, John Harbaugh. Uh, we, we like we have. Mark Andrews is a tremendous tight end. J.K. Dobbins is a very good running back. Good offensive line, Ronnie Staley, or Stanley. But we, we, we can't score. Well, where's... You know, when it's Anthony Brown and when it's, uh, forgetting the other backup's name, I, I forget it every time, uh, Tyler Huntley, that's pretty big dip off offensively. You know, you, you find out how valuable somebody is. You find, you, you, you learn more about how valuable somebody is when they're away as opposed to when they are present at said business, in this case, the Baltimore Ravens organization. And right now, as it stands, they are, what, eight-point underdogs? I'm sorry, nine-and-a-half-point underdogs to the Cincinnati Bengals. It's because Lamar Jackson's not going to play. If he played, this would probably be Bengals minus four, five. There'd be con- the concern about Lamar being rusty, but you'd sit back and say, hey, time out. This, this could actually be a pretty, this could be actually, you know, this could work. We could win this game. Lamar's playing his cards perfectly. And what it's doing is it's either building leverage for him to stay in Baltimore or he gets an opportunity, as I see some of the comments here and I'll react to them, possibly an opportunity to get traded. Uh, But first, John John says, let's go Yankees. John Rivera of the Fan Perspective Podcast, by the way, please go check that uh, that show out. Uh, Can I ask John John, uh, how many championships have the Red Sox won since 04 and how many championships have the Yankees won since 04? It's just a question from a friend. I'm just, you know, 
Just throw that, throw that out there. Four to one. Um, Grady asks, or he says, it's just a groovy situation. Groovy, I like that. It's just a groovy situation in Baltimore. Lamar is trying to negotiate his own contract. You've got to hold a Sean Watson press, uh, precedent, and you've got Lamar's health. I say either meet in the middle or trade Lamar for Derek Carr or Justin Fields. Lamar's prime will not be as long as most because he is a running quarterback. Before I get to uh, your other comments, Grady, because we, we talked about this earlier, uh, I could see a possible Ravens-Raiders trade. Uh, listen, they would have to completely change the offense for Derek Carr. Uh, I think Lamar Jackson is better than Derek Carr. And I, and I by the way, Car Derek Carr is my guy. You guys know. Dak, Derek, Lamar, those are my three guys that I defend like crazy that I think get way too much criticism. And again, I'll talk about Dak in a couple of segments, and I'll talk about Derek Carr tomorrow. The only thing that concerns me is, A, Lamar, for, for all the issues in Baltimore, for lack of weapons, all that, it is a stable organization. And I think, ultimately, Derek Carr would flourish more in Baltimore than a guy like Lamar Jackson in Vegas. Because Vegas has more weapons than Baltimore, but man, they're a dysfunctional organization with a coach that we do not trust at all, given his history. So I don't know. In Chicago, maybe um, you are essentially getting a lesser version of Lamar Jackson in Justin Fields. And again, he's only in year two. We'll see what he he continues to build and grow on. We, we you know, obviously had a great, or I want to say great, a very good uh, second season in the NFL. And you'd be able to save money. But something that's not been talked about that much Lamar Jackson is the best quarterback in the history of the Baltimore Ravens. Trent Dilfer, stop. Like, Trent Dilfer was, was, was led by, the, in my opinion, the greatest defense in the history of the league. The 01 Ravens defense. Or, the, I'm sorry, the 2000 Ravens defense. It's the greatest defense in the history of football, and I will take no further questions at this time. And then the second one, Joe Flacco. Now, Joe Flacco had one, like, Eli Manning amazing run back in 2012. He was awesome in those playoff games against the Colts, Broncos, Patriots, and then the Niners in the Super Bowl. But that's literally all he did. He got him to some AFC title games, but a lot of that was some great defenses in Baltimore. You are good this year, A, because you have a good defense. Okay, we got to give credit where it's due there on that side of the ball. And B, you gotten in this position because... Lamar has done more with less than I would say any quarterback in the league. Because you got to realize, Mark Andrews missed a lot of games. Devin Duvernay was Lamar Jackson's number one receiver. I mean, what is he supposed to do with that? Good news is for the Ravens, hey, DeAndre Hopkins is available in the market. We'll see. Devontae Adams says he wants to stay in Vegas. We'll see in terms of what they do at the quarterback position. If they roll with like Jarrett Stidham or somebody, he may decide to move on. Uh, let's see. Grady says, I'm very, very pro player, but he does not deserve full, a fully guaranteed contract. I'm on a general who pushes uh, back on fully guaranteed details. Anyway, it's bad for sports because guys take advantage of it. Look no further than the NBA. Or he, he said, uh, yeah, he's a goofy situation. I listen, that's, and that's, and I agree. That's the wrench that has been thrown in the situation is Deshaun Watson. And you got to look at it from the perspective of that's a crappy organization in Cleveland giving a guy with all kinds of off-field questions, uh, heck, on-field questions in terms of rust, the biggest fully guaranteed, I'm sorry, the only fully guaranteed deal in the history of the league. And I, if we're talking the only guys that deserve fully guaranteed, it's Patrick Mahomes. I think you have to give it to Joe Burrow. I mean, what were the Bengals before Joe Burrow? 
They were crappy a couple years. I know you, I'm using the word crappy a lot, but they were. They were crappy. Okay. They would consistently get to the playoffs with Andy Dalton, Marvin Lewis, the head coach, but they, they obviously lose in the first round because they didn't have a good playmaker at quarterback or they didn't have bad defenses. So I think Joe Burrow, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer there. Josh Allen, I would probably give him a fully guaranteed deal. Uh, he hasn't accomplished as much as Mahomes and Burrow have, and Burrow's been leaf far less, uh, you know, far less time than Josh Allen. So there's a lot of questions there. Those would real and Justin Herbert. By the way, Justin Herbert. Those are the four guys because Trevor Lawrence is only two years in. We got to see what he does. But those four guys are the only ones in the league that I would absolutely fully guaranteed money give them whatever they want. It's blank check, guys. Uh, and, and Grady also says, uh, maybe Brady just for what he's done for the game. I I, I don't know. I, at this stage, I wouldn't give Brady a fully guaranteed contract just because of his age. The, the only reason because of his age. Because he's only going to play another year, two years, maybe three. Who knows? But his play is declining, so I don't – and I love Tom, but I would not give him a fully guaranteed contract. Uh, but that's fair. And I understand where the Ravens are coming on from that perspective. But that fully guaranteed money is only going to go up because of how bad he's been for Lamar and how much leverage he's gotten. And dare we say, Lamar not having an agent for these negotiations isn't a very strategic move. Maybe he just flat out wants out of Baltimore. Maybe he uh, he asked for a contract he knew the Ravens would not give him so he could move on. It's possible. Maybe he just got frustrated with, man, they will not give me a receiver. And by the way, for those that say, well, Lamar is just a running quarterback who can throw. Lamar Jackson, at the time he got hurt, was one of the five best passers from the pocket in the NFL. Up at midseason, he was, I think he was number one. So he's improved tremendously throwing the football. So, and listen, I, I get why the injury concern would, would be a factor. I get that, totally. But for Baltimore, I think, here's why I think the worst case scenario would be for the Ravens. The franchise tag. You guys know I despise the franchise tag. I hate it. it it's it's like, okay, it, it, it's it's like not not having a non-committal to a serious relationship. That's what it is. It's, it's you have no idea. Either this should be Lamar's last year in Baltimore, or sign the long-term deal. That's what's got to be. Because what happens with the franchise tag is bad blood starts to boil. There starts to be a real disconnect between the franchise and the player. And that's not what you want. It's bad for the locker room. It's bad PR-wise. And it's a big distraction for the team. Because Baltimore's a really good team. Or a really good defense. And with Lamar, a solid offense. I, I, I just showed you. They average four touchdowns a game, essentially. They could make a playoff run in theory. I think there's a, a couple of, of, of holes in the offense that they need to fill. But if they felt, if they filled those... Sure, they could go on a run. But there seems to be more, from Lamar's perspective, I'm not so sure not hiring an agent because here's the thing you got to realize, folks, about if you don't hire an agent and you're going into negotiations. When an agent is in the room for you and you're not, the organization is going to be totally blunt and honest about, well, we like Lamar, but, and they'll list some of his flaws, or they'll list, you know, hey, we're concerned about his injuries. We're concerned about, you know, he hasn't had a ton of success in the playoffs. Certain little things that is going to be brought up in, that are going to be brought up in negotiations. Well, instead of an agent, it's Lamar and his mother. 
because his mom essentially represents him, that are hearing that stuff, who are hearing that stuff. So, again, I'm not so sure if this is not strategic on the part of Lamar Jackson. I could see that being the case uh, without a question. So, there's a lot of teams in the NFL, five to be specific, possibly more in a week or two, that are looking for head coaches. Uh, before I continue, looks like we've got a comment. Uh, Grady says, Ravens got all the power here, honestly, and I don't want to sound like I'm a Lamar hater because I'm not. I really love him as a player slash person. I'm just in favor of good business moves. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Ravens do hold the power because they are the, you know, they're the ones that have to sign the contract. Or, or not sign the contract, but to put the deal together. That's not Lamar's job. That's the organization's job. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. They certainly hold the leverage because they hold the leverage in terms of they can keep Lamar next year because of the franchise tag. And by the way, the year after that, I'd be shocked if that were the case. I'd be shocked if there were initial franchise tag. But again, it goes back to, and I think we're going to find this out very quickly with Derek Carr unless they replace him with, I mean, I'm not even sure Brady could turn that thing around. I think Brady's better than Carr. They'd be better with Brady. But I don't think he'd lift them into a Super Bowl contender. I don't. What you're going to see with Derek Carr, I think what you're seeing currently with Lamar Jackson and what you've seen at times with the Cowboys without Dak Prescott, man, you need a quarterback. You need that guy to be able to function the offense at a high level, regardless of the personnel that is or is not there. Um, but coaching-wise, and by the way, I think there's some good head coaching candidates. I think Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator for the Lions, absolutely deserves at least a consideration for a job. I think D'Amico Ryans in San Francisco, I would absolutely hire him to be my head coach if given the opportunity. Frank Reich is a tremendous, tremendous uh, candidate. I mean, he's he's proven it. He's, I mean, think about Frank Reich for a minute. Had Andrew Luck in 2018, team got to the playoffs. Andrew Luck, out of nowhere due to multiple injuries and, frankly, football just taking a toll on his body uh, and, and his mind, I'm sure. I'm sure his mental health was, was affected by it as well. He said, I can't do it. I retire. Frank Reich then proceeded to have Jacoby Brissett and Brian Hoyer and Ryan, I'm not Ryan Tannehill, uh, Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Sam Ellinger, Nick Foles, obviously Matt Ryan. No stability at the quarterback position, yet he had a winning record with those guys. Got to the playoffs. Almost got to the playoffs last year if it weren't for Carson Wentz choking down the last game. So I think, and by the way, what he got canned because the owner is power hungry. Jim Irsay, who then gave the job to Jeff Saturday. I don't know if it was to tank. If so, mission accomplished. I don't know if it was to sort of give a middle finger to the rest of the NFL, uh, you know, criticizing him for being essentially the, the owner and operator of the cult, albeit Chris Ballard is the GM. But this was a Jim Irsay move without a question. Uh, but I think Frank Wright would be an excellent candidate. I think he'd work in Denver, by the way. That could work. But the number one candidate, without a shadow of a doubt, is Sean Payton. He's won a Super Bowl, 
multiple playoff appearances is probably the biggest reason that Drew Brees was able to turn his career around. Because we know Drew Brees was a productive quarterback with the San Diego Chargers, but then he had that debilitating shoulder injury. We all know the the infamous story about how he was uh, not cleared to play, not cleared for football activities by the Miami Dolphins doctors. Nick Saban says that's why he retired and went, I'm sorry, not retired, but stepped down and went to Alabama. The rest is history there. And so he goes to New Orleans, and we all know the the sort of Cinderella story of that was around the time that Katrina happened. Drew Brees, Sean Payton essentially helped rebuild the city, and in that span, won a Super Bowl. It's, it's, it's great. It's one of the great stories in sports, especially for Drew Brees, who's a guy six foot, not a, a guy that's going to blow you away with his athleticism or his arm strength, but maybe the most accurate quarterback that ever played the game. Great in the pocket, tremendous leader, uh, you know, great in the locker room connected with young and veteran players. And so Sean Payton, but Sean Payton had a big a big hand in him being able to turn his career around. And so he's the most sought after candidate. Rightfully so, by the way. And so there are, let, let's put up the graphic real quick. There are five teams currently, as we sit here in this moment, five teams that are in, that are active in a search for a head coach. The Cardinals, the Panthers, the Broncos, the Colts, and the Texans. Okay, now... Four of those five, four of those five teams, I would say they're one of, if not their biggest issues are, man, uh, ownership wise, you have major questions. Denver, they've got obviously the, the the Walmart family who who owns the team now. They're 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 just new into this thing. We 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 don't know if they're all that if, if they're one of those owners like a NBA example like a James Dolan, who they really don't care that much about whether the team is successful or not, or if they're a Stan Kroenke, the owner of the Rams, who is intent on winning at all costs. So we don't know in Denver. Colts, I just mentioned it. Jim Ursay is a power-hungry owner. He's an egomaniac, uh, and he basically takes the power out of the hands of his general manager, Chris Ballard, to make all the football decisions. That is a big red flag. No. For the Houston Texans, you've got the McNair family who has, you know, fired two coaches in the last two years and had three coaches in the last, I'm sorry, had four coaches in the last three years. That is definitely not the, and they have the number two pick for a reason. Not a good organization. Haven't been really in the time that they've been in the NFL, which is around two decades. And then I would say the Cardinals, the Bidwell family. Uh, Because I read a stat the other day, the Cardinals have been around for around 100 years. No coach has ever been in the organization more than six. They've never had a coach stick around for more than six years with the Arizona Cardinals. I like, like David Tepper. He doesn't strike me as the type of guy to be um, a meddling owner. I could be wrong about that, but he doesn't strike me as that. I could see Carolina as an option for Sean Payton, but personnel-wise, man, they have a lot to fix offensively. But, you know, what's the saying about when you're constantly looking for the answer to a problem when the answer is right in front of you? Whether that whether the answer to that question is a, a relationship with somebody when that person is right in front of you, uh, whether it's you know the answer on a test, whatever it may be. I think the answer is right in front of Sean Payton. And he's a half hour... I don't know the geography of it, but a half hour, 45 minutes away, it's the LA Chargers. 
Folks, if the Chargers lose on Saturday night to the Jacksonville Jaguars, Brandon Staley is going to lose his job. Last year ended, why? Because of a coaching gap by Brandon Staley after numerous other coaching gaps by Brandon Staley during the season. This year, games of the Chargers did not look prepared, did not look well-coached, and did look completely out-schemed and overwhelmed against some of the upper echelon in the AFC. And now, on the last game of the regular season, when you know you are locked in as the five seed in the playoffs, there's nothing you can do, win, lose, or draw, to affect your playoff standing. And yet, you play all of your starters, and you lose Joey Bosa for the time being, and possibly for this playoff game, Mike Williams, who very well might be your best receiver, certainly your best deep threat receiver. They lose this game, but with all the talent they have in that roster, the Spanos family is going to move on from Brandon Staley. So if Sean Payton takes over, this is what he has, folks. He has Justin Herbert, who's a top-five quarterback in the NFL. That's pretty attractive. He's also got an offense that's got guys like Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and uh, who's the uh, Austin Eckler, who's led the league in touchdowns, I think, the last two years combined. If you combine the last two years, Austin Eckler scored more touchdowns than anybody else. And a defense that's got two of the 10 premier pass rushers in the NFL in Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. Not to mention your secondary is led by Derwin James, who finally was healthy this year and had a remarkable season. The Chargers, by the way, this isn't something small. Special teams we know can win you games and can lose you games. Special teams alone. The Chargers, how long have the Chargers been looking for a kicker? And they finally found it. Dicker the kicker. Cameron Dicker, they finally found their guy to make field goals for him. Yes, they play in a tough division, but... Are you looking for high playoff seeding or are you looking to win a championship? Because Denver, we don't know what Denver's going to be next year. I think they'll be better. I think Russell Wilson will be better next year than he was this year. I think because partly because I think they'll upgrade coach. We don't know what Denver's going to be. Vegas, uh, as we sit here today, Vegas does not have a quarterback. And if they get Brady, they'll be better. But I don't see them as a Super Bowl contender. Kansas City, we know what they are and what they represent. They got Patrick Holmes, Andy Reid. And by the way, this was kind of a rebuilding year for them. Kansas City is going to be the class of the division for the you know for, for years to come. But in terms of what's attractive, in terms of being able to be given the power of the organization to make decisions, which we know Sean Payton wants to do, it's the very reason I've said for a year on the show, there's no way he'd go to Dallas. There's no way. Unless Jerry Jones did something that he hasn't done in three decades, and that's give, you know, essentially uh, uh, let up power to somebody who knows football more than he does. I don't see Jerry doing that. Maybe he would. By the way, I'm not even sure Mike McCarthy gets fired. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, conditions Not sure he should get fired after the job he's done this season. I think McCarthy's done a good job this season. That's another discussion for another day. The Rams job will probably become available soon because all the reports are Sean McVay is going to step down and resign to go into broadcasting, but 
are the Rams that attractive a situation themselves? No assets, no depth. A quarterback who is aging in Matthew Stafford, who struggled to stay healthy at times the last or two of the last three seasons. Cooper Cup, who's been hurt. Aaron Donald, we're not sure how much longer he's going to play. And Jalen Ramsey, who had the worst season of his career. And Allen Robinson, who was a disappointment this year. Like, is the Ram Rams are is a more attractive job because of the ownership and the general manager less Sneed than a lot of these other franchises, Houston, Indianapolis, Arizona. But if I'm Sean Payton, I am a Jaguars fan on Saturday. Because if the Jaguars win, Brandon Staley probably gets fired. That's the perfect job for Sean, uh, Sean Payton, in my opinion. It's not open yet. It's not, it's not, it's not on, uh, you know, on, on LinkedIn or anything or whatever, the, whatever these uh, outlets say. Or not outlets, but, but, but these, these job sites. It's not, it's, not, it's not been posted yet, but it will be in, give it about, today's Thursday, give it about five days. No doubt about it. Uh, John Rivera says Sean is waiting for the Cowboys. I, I just, I don't see that happening. I, I, he has ties, obviously, to the Cowboys front office. Stephen Jones, we know that they they have a good relationship. And Sean was obviously the offensive coordinator for the Cow- or Yeah, I think he was the offensive coordinator of the quarterback's coach, one, two, or both, for Dallas on Bill, Bill Parcell's staff with Tony Romo when Tony Romo first became the starter before he then went to New Orleans. So I know there's been rumors for the longest time about Sean Payton going to Dallas. There's actually a book that's out uh, that's called Playmake. I think it's called... Uh, is it Playmakers, I think is what's called. It's, I'm reading this this great book about the NFL by Mike Florio. Uh, I, I wish I could plug it because it's, a, it's an excellent read. But it said in the book, and you heard the story in the media last year about how the Cowboys and the Saints almost agreed to a Sean Payton trade in 2019. The problem was the uh, – who owns the the, the Saints? I'm, I'm forgetting the, the, the last name of the – the Benson family. Yeah, the Benson family who owns the Saints – they also own the New Orleans Pelicans. And at that same time, Anthony Davis was asking for a trade. And it would have been a really bad look for New Orleans to lose Anthony Davis and Sean Payton in a two-month span. So they said, okay, we're, we know we're going to lose AD. We got to keep Sean Payton around. So I, I just don't, I don't see it. I really don't. Familiarity-wise, it works. Being able to get a top-10 level quarterback works and a great wide receiver and a solid defense in a division that's st- much better than it was last year, but still not. That There's only one, I think, legitimate contender in that division. That's Philadelphia. Giants are coming up, though. But I, I, I don't I don't see what's attractive. Again, I think it all comes back to Jerry Jones. If Jones isn't going to give you power, which is what he had, by the way, with Mickey Loomis, the general manager in, in New Orleans, they kind of split duties as the general manager, making decisions on personnel, if Sean Payton is not given given that option, which by the way, Mike McCarthy is given that option, doesn't really want that option. Jason Garrett didn't really want that option. Bill Parcells did. He resigned. Okay. Uh, Jimmy Johnson obviously did. We know how that story went. He got fired. Like Jerry doesn't take too well about uh, you know, giving up power. That's that's not really his thing. Uh, and Grady says, don't be shocked if the Cowboys or Chargers get opened up, Bryson. Uh, Miami also is a possibility if Brady wants to go there. The only thing, the only thing about, about Miami possibly moving on from Mike McDaniel in favor of Sean Payton to get Tom Brady. 
because there's a very real possibility that the the Dolphins will go after Brady when he's a free agent this this uh, spring. And obviously, we know that they tried to make some kind of deal where Brady and Sean Payton came to the Dolphins last year, so much so that it was illegal tampering and the owner got suspended and lost a draft pick. Miami Daniels done a solid job in New Orleans. I'm sorry, New Orleans, in Miami. Do you want to, with the momentum that he's built, I know the Dolphins really struggled down the stretch, but that's because quarterback play, whether it be Tua, Bridgewater, or Skylar Thompson, has been terrible. Do you try and go away from the momentum you've got now just for one year? Just for one Super Bowl contending year? Because Tom will probably not be there more than a year before he then finally retires. I could see it. I, it's a possibility. I don't know. It, it's it's. And Grady says also could just see him go back to Fox. Honestly, and on you know what Grady, and that's why I said you know the 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 Chargers. It's right in front of him because he works uh, for for Fox Sports. Uh, he does some of their shows during the week. He's on Fox NFL Sunday. You know the pregame show, and. In, by the way, Fox is in Los Angeles, so you know LA Chargers is in, or are in Inglewood, and Fox is right in the middle of, of Los Angeles. It could work. Grady asks, what do you think the Texans will end up? Honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if they try to pull off a guy off TV like Rex Ryan or Eric Mangini. I really don't think they're going to be able to get anyone, or, or sorry, to end up with. Uh, listen, it's Houston. I have no idea. I see them when I let me go and put up the graphic again, the Sean Payton graphic real quick. Here it is. I think of those five, I'd say Arizona is probably the least attractive job because you've got a hurt quarterback. Who's the third highest paid player at his position in football. That's not that attractive. Um, at least Indianapolis has some talent on the roster and they're going to draft a young quarterback. Houston's going to draft a young quarterback, and they have little to no offensive talent because one of their only good players, Brandon Cooks, wants out. They've got that Damian Pierce kid, but he's a running back, and we know running backs have never been less important in the NFL than they are today. Carolina at least has a really good defense, and they have some offensive pieces, DJ Moore, Chuba Hubbard. You know, if they sure up the quarterback position, you know, Carolina could be a team that maybe pushes to make the playoffs next year. We'll see. And then you have Denver, who at least has some good offensive pieces and an excellent defense. I think Houston is, out of the five job openings currently up right now, Houston is the second least attractive job. Just because of the uncertainty and because of the uh, instability within the organization. And Houston's probably as instable as any franchise in football. So, you know who I could see going there? I'm dead serious. I could see Jim Harbaugh going to Houston. Because think about think about this. We think about the Niners as this premier franchise. Great ownership. Now they've got John Lynch, who's a tr- tremendous general manager. Kyle Shanahan's done a great job, and the roster's stacked. And they draft well. And they're aggressive. But pre-Jim Harbaugh, 49ers were a joke. Remember the Mike Singletary years? Mike Singletary, one of the all-time great linebackers in the history of the game. He was a bad head coach. Jim Harbaugh steps in to a team that had missed the playoffs. His first year, he got the 49ers to the NFC Championship game. And one one could argue, they probably should have won that game over the Giants. They had a special teams gap in overtime, could have easily won that game. And Jim Harbaugh, in year one as a head coach, would have been to the Super Bowl. Year two as a coach, he did go to the Super Bowl. Year three as a coach, came that close. If it weren't for one of the all-time great defensive plays by Richard Sherman at the end of that game, 
could have beaten the Seattle Seahawks, gotten to another Super Bowl. So Jim Arbor can coach in the NFL. He is the exception to the rule that you don't hire college coaches. I could see him going to Houston where it's like, there's there's no pressure on Jim Harbaugh. There's some because he's Jim Harbaugh, but Bryce Young or whoever they draft with the second overall pick, you want to develop him, give him time. It's an offense that has is, is got a lot of holes, particularly in the offensive line. The defense, which has some players, particularly in the secondary, uh, I, I like some of the corners they got there, but they really need to shore up their front seven. Uh, they've, got, they've got a lot of work to do. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But I could see Jim Harbaugh going there. Now, am I saying that Houston's going to make the AFC Championship game his first year? Obviously not. But within two years, could they get to the playoffs if they get the quarterback right? Sure. I mean, his quarterback, the, the years that he got to the NFC title game, were Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick. Like, not Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger. You know, so, you know, hats off hats off to uh, to the job that Harbaugh did. And I, I think he could possibly be a, a good hire. Uh, okay. So we got a, a little bit of breaking news right here from field Yates on Twitter. So there have been, I think the, I think it was the Panthers who interviewed Gerard Mayo, Tennessee guy, by the way, go, go big orange, but interviewed Gerard Mayo, who is the, I think the linebackers coach, if I'm not mistaken, or one of the defensive assistants on the new England Patriots, the Panthers interviewed him. Somebody else might've interviewed him for the head coaching job. Was it a rooting rule interview? Who knows? But according to Phil Yates, he tweeted, from the Patriots, the team had begun uh, negotiations with assistant Gerard Mayo to keep him with the team long-term, and this is the most important part of this tweet, and will begin the process of interviewing offensive coordinator candidates next week. Well, fair to say this is the most obvious breaking news that we've had in this uh, in the 12 days of 2023. I think it's fair to say. Uh, listen, the, uh, I'm not going to do a victory lap on this because it was obvious. I don't do victory laps laps on stuff that was completely and utterly obvious. Anybody that knows anything about football could have seen this coming from a mile away. That Matt Patricia, Joe Judge are not offensive coaches, and with a limited quarterback and Mac Jones with subpar weapons, it probably wasn't going to be a very good offense. It wasn't a very good offense. So you've got to fix the play calling at that spot. We'll see who they hire. Uh, is, is it another former Belichick assistant? Who knows? Bill O'Brien, possibly. I'm hearing rumors he could take the, the job, leave Alabama to go to New England. Maybe. He had some success, albeit with, with the greatest quarterback ever, Tom Brady. But uh, Grady, <laughs> Grady said, you scared me, Bryson. Scared you with what? That, that, that they were trying to find a... Oh, what, the draw Mayo was hired? Or rehired? Or going to be their offensive coordinator or something? Yeah. Well, the Patriots got a decent, it's not a bad coaching staff by any stretch of the imagination, but, oh, 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 Grady said, I thought my Panthers were hiring one of my (laughs) terrible Patriots assistants. No, 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 don't worry about that. And that's the thing, man, Belichick uh, assistants do not work as head coaches. 
You look at Joe Judge. I think Romeo Cornell was there. Bill O'Brien. It. I mean, Brian Flores is really the one that had any level of success. I mean, I'm trying to think. Josh McDaniels is. He's probably at the top of the list of the biggest disasters. Belichick assistants. It's like I've always said. When people say Belichick's the greatest coach ever, I'm like, I'm not sure he's better than Andy Reid. And I'm not saying Andy Reid's the greatest coach ever. I think he's an all-time great. I don't think he's the greatest ever. But look at all of Andy Reid's assistants. They all succeed. Look at Doug Peterson. Look at, at least for a short time, Matt Nagy. You know, Eric enemy might be successful later on if he ever gets a head coaching job. Like, uh, John Harbaugh, by the way, back in the day at Philadelphia was the special teams coach for the Eagles when Andy Reid was there. Look how he's done in Baltimore. Like, Andy Reid assistants are really successful. Belichick's assistants really aren't. There you go. So, yeah, don't panic, Grady. Uh, uh, Gerard Mayo is staying in New England. Uh, we do have a comment here from Patrick Brown. What is up, Patrick? The host of the Chaotic Sports Podcast. He's got a baseball question. He says, your thoughts on the whole Carlos Correa saga, which ended with him agreeing with the Minnesota Twins. So here's my brief take on it, uh, Patrick. Um, We know about how the situation played out with the Mets. And then previously before that with the Giants, him failing his physical. Uh, I I had a a discussion about this the other night with our good friend Barry Grant Jr. All even podcast uh, here at the grid. Shout out to Barry, who's a, lifelong diehard Mets fan, long-suffering Mets fan uh, is the better way to put that. Uh, He was not happy to say the least. Don't really blame him because of the hypocrisy of the Mets organization in front office. Here's my takeaway. The Mets had a hole in their lineup. Outside of Pete Alonso, nobody showed up for them in the postseason offensively. Or really in the month of September when they blew the division lead to Atlanta. When you bring in a, a guy like Carlos Correa to sure up that, that spot, by the way, to put him in a position where he su- can succeed defensively, he's a guy who has been dominant in the postseason with Houston. I, I don't get, by the way, this is, by the way, for those of you who say, oh, he's cheating. Well, this is even post-cheating scandal. This is with Dusty Baker as well. Yeah, the Mets dropped the bag in this one, but then again, they are the Mets. So Mets going to do Mets things. Uh, Grady says, I mean, Bill O'Brien worked to a degree as a head coach. He was okay, but all went wrong when he became the GM. Yeah, that, that's, that's right. He, he did get to the playoffs a couple of times to his credit. You're right, Grady with, uh, with Brian Hoyer, with Brock Osweiler and that albatross of a contract, but you're right. Once he took over power, it, it became a disaster. He, it all started when he got a bag of peanuts for DeAndre Hopkins and it all spiraled down from there. Grady says, not saying much, though. He's one of the best of the Patriots' assistants to become head coaches. Yeah, I'd, pro- I'd honestly put Bill O'Brien Bill O'Brien, and Brian Flores at the top of the Patriots' assistants who have worked as head coaches' list. Like, McDaniels didn't work. Uh, Judge didn't work. It just it, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, doesn't pan out, man. It really does. Uh, let's see. Is this breaking news? Okay. No, that, that wasn't breaking news. I, I thought it was saying that uh, the, the Patriots were... Okay, so that yeah, they're they're looking for a new offensive coordinator. So there you go. Quick topic, because I'll elaborate more on this probably some tomorrow, but mostly on Monday, is is Dak Prescott. So obviously the discussion has been all week about his interceptions, about uh I think three of the last four games he has he's had a pick six. Now, in fairness to Dak, one of those pick sixes was absolutely not his fault. 
the pick six to Jacksonville went right through the hands of Noah Brown, got intercepted for a walk-off touchdown. I don't want to get into that today. But I've talked about Dak this year in terms of he's leading the NFL in picks that were not turnover-worthy plays. But it is a fact, 12 games, 15 interceptions. So again, he missed five games and still tied with Davis Mills for the league lead in picks. It was one of them above Derek Carr. Here's sort of my takeaway on Dak going into the postseason. And I, I sort of talked about what Dak needs to do to get right going into the playoff game against Tampa. If you haven't seen that, it's from Monday's show. I'll try and get it clipped into a, uh, a clip to put on YouTube. I was listening to Greg Cosell on, on Colin Cowherd's show today. Uh, Greg Cosell is, for those of you who don't know who he is, he is the head of NFL Films. Basically, what he does all week is he watches film, particularly on quarterbacks, but he watches film. And... I thought he put it perfectly. He said two things that I, I completely agree with. Number one, the first thing he said was because Dak was so bad, and he said, and I said on the show, I said on Monday's show, I said it was the worst game of Dak Prescott's NFL career. Wor by far. Completion percentage, yards, yards per attempt, it was bad. But he said kind of what I was thinking, that because Dak Prescott was so awful on Sunday against Washington, it starts the notion, the narrative, or at least feels the narrative that was already out there that he has been, uh, that he's been playing bad all season long. Because I've said on this show, okay, he didn't play well against Tampa Bay. It's opening day. I'm not going to put too much stock into that. Comes back from injury, not going to put a whole lot of stock into that. He didn't turn the ball over, uh, and he threw a touchdown pass. I think it was to Dalton Schultz late in the game. They beat Detroit. But he was outstanding against the Chicago Bears. He put them in position without a question, scored 28 points to beat the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau. He destroyed the Minnesota Vikings 40-3 to the next week. He played exceptionally well in the second half against the New York Giants on Thanksgiving. He had a dominant fourth quarter against, albeit the, the Indianapolis Colts. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll put that to bed. I said he played bad against the Texans, but even in his bad game, he did have a 98-yard game when he drive for what it's worth. You say, well, it's the Texans. Well, the Texans did take Patrick Mahomes to overtime, but then nobody was talking about that the next week. Anyways, week after that, had a QBR of 70, played very well against the Jacksonville Jaguars, 300 yards, three touchdowns, and got unlucky on an interception that got returned for a touchdown because it, a perfect pass went right through the hands of Noah Brown. Then he played one of the best games of his career against the Philadelphia Eagles, the at-the-time second-ranked pass defense, and he dropped a 40-burger on them with three touchdown passes. Last week against the Titans, okay, solid, played well in the second half against them. And against Washington, he was horrible. Horrible. Jerry Jones was talking, uh, do I have the Jerry Jones quote here? Okay, here it is. And it's been, it's been played around all these, these networks and stuff. Jerry Jones said, and I quote, it's in, uh, it's in Dak's DNA. Oh, let me, actually, let me say that in Jerry's accent. <clears throat> it is in Dak's DNA, not turn the ball over. I have all the confidence in the world that he, as a uh, as a player, has all the right balance of confidence at that right balance of aggressiveness as it pertains to a turnover. And he understands turnover better than all of us put together. Uh, I, I don't know if that's an end quote, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's supposed to be a compliment. I guess it's Jerry's version of a compliment. I don't know where Jerry's going half the time when he talks. I just... It's Jerry's world. We're all living in it. We're just trying to figure out what the heck he's talking about half the time. But when he says turnovers not in his DNA, people say, "Well, it is." He, you know, this season he's thrown 15 interceptions. 
here's an interesting stat, folks. I pulled this from, uh, from uh, I think it was, yeah, NFL Next Gen Stats. Despite this season, despite leading the league in interceptions this season, but while missing five games, which should make this stat all the more bad, interception rate, interception rate. Since he entered the NFL, he has a better career interception rate than every single quarterback in football with the exception of three. Brady, Rodgers, Russell Wilson. Now, Russell, it's like, dang, Dak should have a better than Russell Wilson because Russell's been terrible this year. But take Russell, Russell Wilson aside, that's two of the 10 greatest quarterbacks ever. I'm obviously not saying that Dak Prescott is even in that discussion. But the notion that he has always had this problem is way overblown. Typically, quarterbacks that throw 30-plus touchdowns, when Dak's healthy, you know, he's a 30-plus touchdown guy. 2019, uh, he certainly would have been on pace in 2020 had he not gotten hurt. And in 2021, he had 30, 37 touchdown passes. Typically, quarterbacks that have 30-plus, they turn the ball over. Josh Allen had 12 interceptions this year, through over 30. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, a year ago, threw the exact same amount of touchdown passes as Dak, 37. He threw 13 interceptions. So that's going to come. Now, some of them... You, Dak's got improved. The, the pick six to Kendall Fuller against Washington was awful. The pick, the second one, not the first one, that was a drop by Hendershot, but the second one to Kevin Bynard. He's got to clean that up. The reads. The second thing that's just going back to what Greg Cosell said. The second thing he said is what, you're no, what he noticed about Dak in that game against Washington. His head is constantly moving. He's looking all over the field. What that means is you're not seeing things well. Could that be what I've been saying since heck before the year started? Dax guys can't separate. Noah Brown, who you know, I know Shannon Sharps uh, said on television, uh, you know, Noah Brown has 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 something on Dak. He has something on Dak. He he has to for Dak to be throwing the ball to him this many times. You consider the fact that Michael Gallup has had the worst year of his career in terms of separation, in terms of getting open. Dalton Schultz is at a down year. CeeDee Lamb's really been the only guy that showed up in terms of being able to separate and make plays after the catch. So I've said on this show, I would kind of, if I'm Dak, he's not this type of quarterback, for better or for worse, but I would force feed the ball to CeeDee Lamb. Get the ball to number 88, let him make plays. And so, you know, we talk about, is it in his DNA? No. He had a problem this year, but in years past, hasn't really been an issue. Rookie year obviously wasn't a problem at all. He only threw four. Last year he threw 11, but he did throw 37 touchdown passes. So it was darn darn near a, 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 a four-to-one touchdown interception ratio. You'll take that any day of the week. That, that's, that's darn near impossible. Okay, he didn't have an interception problem in 2020. 2019 it wasn't an issue. 2018 it wasn't an issue. It is this year. Some of it's Dak. I blamed it on Dak. But some of it is he's trying to fit the ball into, as I call them, closed windows, not tight windows, because Dak's number one in tight window throws in the NFL. He's led an offense that has scored 32 points a game. He's doing something right. It's those little things he's got to clean up. I don't think it's as big of an issue, though, as, as people are uh, are making it out to be. Uh, let's see. Uh, Grady Edwards says, Why does Jerry Jones always remind me of the owner of a used car dealership when he's talking in the media? Uh, I, I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine, Grady. He's, uh, he is a character. 
And I, I think I've been very, very clear about how much I truly, truly despise him talking to the media as much as he does. But there's nothing that's going to change that. So you just kind of, kind of got to live with it. You got to live with it. Jerry hasn't complimented Dak in a while. So I, I you look, I, I guess I'll take that. I guess I'll take that, right? What was the quote there at the end? He understands turnover better than all of us put together. I mean, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I guess that's sort of a compliment in Jerry's, you know, in Jerry's Jerry-ish way. You know, he has a weird thing of explaining things sometimes. Uh, there's a pony in here somewhere is the old <laughs> adage with the boy scooping up the manure on Christmas Day and whistling while he was doing it. Here comes Santa Claus. He's he's unorthodox, but you just got to live with it. Okay, I've been looking forward to this segment all show. So, we know that in the NFL, everybody's got a weakness. Everybody, whether you be the worst team in the league, the Chicago Bears, or whether you be the two teams who are tied with the best record in football, that would be the Chiefs, the Eagles, and everybody in between. Everybody's got a flaw. Everybody's got something that... If you game plan the right way and you have the personnel to do it, you can exploit. And this is no different for all 14 teams in the postseason. Obviously, you got your seven seeds, your Seattles and your Miamis, who we don't expect to go very far at all. And you got your one seeds, Kansas City, Philadelphia, teams in between, Buffalo, Cincinnati, uh, you know, San Francisco, teams we expect to make a run, teams we could see possibly winning the Super Bowl when it's all said and done. But everybody's got a flaw. And I'm right here. I'm carving up live to expose it. So, quick. Get the background music. Okay. Background music's rolling. Let's look at the, before we get into the, 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 the weaknesses, let's look at the playoff bracket. So, there you go. There's the playoff teams gunning for Super Bowl 57. We've got 14 teams in the AFC. It's Chiefs, Bills, Bengals. Jaguars, Chargers, Ravens, Dolphins. In the NFC, it is Eagles, 49ers, Vikings, Buccaneers, Cowboys, Giants, Seahawks. A lot of teams gunning for the Super Bowl 57, of course, when it's all said and done. Out of those 14, only one will come away with the ultimate prize. We're going to start in the AFC with weaknesses. What is the biggest weakness of all the teams in the AFC? We're going to start with the bottom and go to the top. So we're starting with the Miami Dolphins. What is the Dolphins' biggest weakness? Major limitations at quarterback. It's going to be Skylar Thompson on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Skylar Thompson, I believe, has yet to throw for 200 yards in uh, multiple appearances this season. He struggled mightily, albeit against a very good Jets defense, but he scored nine points. Uh, they got a late safety at the end to get to up above double digits. But this is an offense that, despite all the playmakers, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Mike Gusecki, Edrick Wilson, Sherfield, a really good running game. C.J. Moster, good offensive line. Like, that's kind of what they're going to have to rely on. If Buffalo takes them out of running the football, which, by the way, they weren't able to do last time, and they had to win a walk-off field goal to just escape by Miami. But if if Miami has to rely on Skylar Thompson, it's 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 just not it's not going to work. And they're, they're extremely limited. Uh, so the Dolphins' biggest weakness is major limitations at quarterback. For the Baltimore Ravens, they can't function offensively without Lamar Jackson. And that is a fact. It's, it's backed up by the numbers. It's backed up by your eyes. Okay, as I mentioned earlier in the show, with Lamar Jackson, 28 points a game. Without him, 20. Yards per game, 384. Without him, 337. QBR with Lamar Jackson, 64. Without him, 48. 
nothing. We can't. They can't move the ball, and it's going to be Anthony Brown at quarterback against the Bengals. Give me a similar situation to the Dolphins. We've got a third-string guy. You're going to rely on the running game. The defense is probably going to have to score a touchdown, whether it be a a pick six or a, a scoop and score, whatever the case may be. Um, Baltimore can't move the ball down the field. They don't have a playmaker quarterback, and even if even if they had a solid backup, they don't have any weapons. And so that's going to play them in the long run. For the Los Angeles Chargers, it is quite simple as it gets. Brandon Staley. It's that simple. It's Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley is the biggest weakness of the Los Angeles Chargers. They've got just about everything you could want in a Super Bowl roster. They've got the elite quarterback. They've got a good running back. Solid offensive line. It's improved. It's gotten a little bit of chemistry after some of the injuries earlier in the season. Plenty of weapons. Great playmakers on defense. Special teams is good. Situationally, oh gosh, do they leave a lot to be desired. Last year, this year, and going into a game, I'm about to get to the Jaguars in my next one, going into a game against Jacksonville where Doug Peterson's been there and done that. He's won a Super Bowl. Okay, this is an inexperienced Jags roster. This is an equally inexperienced Chargers roster. And so in that situation, you're probably going to leave with the coach to be good if the game is close late, which I think we'd be surprised if it wasn't. Brandon Staley, simply put, is the biggest limitation of the Los Angeles Chargers because of his very questionable late-game decision-making as a coach. For the Jacksonville Jaguars, one of the more surprising playoff teams, struggles in close games due to youth and inexperience. The Jaguars this season played 14 one-score games, and they were 6-8. and eight. Now, they were better late in season in close games, such as the game against Dallas and against Tennessee. But they kind of have to beat you badly. That, like, By the way, they faced the Chargers all the way back in Week 3, destroyed them at SoFi Stadium. Um... They kind of have to uh, get out to a lead early, hold the lead late, uh, make sure that their defense gets a couple of turnovers. Th this is a team, again, young teams tend to struggle late in game. Like, it is what it is. This is a very young roster. It's a, a, a future superstar quarterback who is in his second year. Okay, who does occasionally make those young player mistakes. But for every mistake he makes, he makes a out of an out-of-this-world throw, an out-of-this-world play with his arm and sometimes with his legs. This is a Jags team that can win a playoff game. But they're too young, and I think that's what's going to uh, to hurt them in the long run. By the way, for what it's worth, the youngest roster in the NFL. They're going to struggle in close games. And in the playoffs, you got to win them. And so I think that's what's going to play Jacksonville and cost them in the long run. To number three, the Cincinnati Bengals, the three seed. What's their biggest weakness? If they can't generate pressure, their secondary is toast. They struggle in the pass defense. They've got a good... Uh, They've got a good pass rush, guys like uh, Hubbard, Hendrickson, uh, plenty of guys in between, uh, guys like Reeder. But if they're not able to generate any pressure whatsoever on the quarterback, their secondary gets burnt consistently. You look at uh, last year, the postseason against Matthew Stafford, they could not generate pressure on him late. What happened? Cooper Cup went off against the likes of Eli Apple and, and against their other corners that they have. Chidabe Awuzie, nice players they have, but not guys. I think Awuzie, by the way, might be out for the season not corners that are going to just lock up your number one receivers. Um, the secondary to me is what's going to cost Cincinnati in the long run. They've got all the pieces offensively. I can, I'm a little bit concerned about their injuries to their offensive line. Uh, Lyle Collins, Alex Kappa. But I think Joe Burrow, listen, he got the team to the Super Bowl last year with a horrendous offensive line. And the weapons are just that much better this year with the addition of Hayden Hurst. Joe Mixon's had a great year. Uh, their front seven is good. But if they're not, they're back, the back half of their defense is really bad and tends to struggle. And in this AFC with a lot of elite quarterbacks, 
That's it, it can't happen. So that's the Cincinnati Bengals' biggest weakness. For the Buffalo Bills, their biggest weakness, way too Josh Allen reliant. You look at the Bills' 100-yard rushing games this season. How many of those games this year have been because Josh Allen ran for 40, 50, 70, 80 yards? I've been critical of the Bills on this all season long. If Josh Allen isn't a factor running the football, they cannot run the football whatsoever. And so you see late in these games with an offensive line that leaves much to be desired. Despite having some solid pieces, they have Dalvin Cook's little brother. I think James Cook is his name. Uh, you've got uh, 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 Devin Singletary. That Naheem Hines, who returned a couple of kicks for touchdowns. He's not really a between-the-tackles type of guy. But if you're in a position where you've got a four-point lead, five minutes left, you've got to have that run game to be able to melt the clock and not have to take shots down the field or even you know get little passes in the screen game. They're going to have to rely on Josh Allen to throw the, throw the ball 35, 45 times and run the ball 10 to 12 times a game on design plays. That is going to hurt the Buffalo Bills in the long run. Uh, it's why I still today don't see them winning the AFC. That's the Bills' biggest weakness. But the number one seed in the AFC, they do not have to play this weekend. The Chiefs' biggest weakness, pass defense gets torched against elite quarterbacks. You look at the season when the Chiefs played Tom Brady, their defense was awful. Look at when they played Josh Allen, their defense struggled late in the game, particularly in the second half. You look at when they faced Justin Herbert twice through Andrew Yard passing games. Joe Burrow, to use the name of the show, card that defense up. Anytime that they have faced an elite quarterback this season, they have struggled mightily. Uh, we know what Patrick Holmes is, what he represents. He's, I'd say, second to Lamar Jackson this year. Uh, has has made something of nothing considering what he's been given. We know Travis Kelsey is the, is the best tight end in football, hands down, no questions asked. But if Travis Kelsey isn't getting open consistently, you're relying on Justin Watson. You're relying on you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, who's solid, but he's not a number one. You're relying on uh, you know Sky Moore, possibly uh, Acheco. Not a lot of great weapons. But Patrick Mahomes has made it work this year because he's Patrick Mahomes. It's because Andy Reid is Andy Reid. But defensively, anytime they face an elite quarterback, which as I said, the AFC is full of them, they might have to win some 38-35 to 35 type shootouts or 34-31 to 31 type shootouts in order to make a Super Bowl run. That is the AFC. Let's now transition to the NFC teams, starting with the last team to get in. Needed some help to get in, but got that help with Seattle Seahawks. Their biggest weakness, their run defense is terrible. For a team in Seattle that runs the ball so effectively, they cannot stop the run whatsoever. They are bottom five in the NFL in rush yards allowed. And that's some of the strengths of some of these NFC teams, including the team they're going to face Sunday, I'm sorry, Saturday, the San Francisco 49ers. With Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, Brock Purdy is at least somewhat mobile. You know, you're going to face teams like if they were to make any sort of run, any sort of surprise run. Philadelphia, we know they can run the ball with Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders. Minnesota can run the ball with Dalvin Cook. Dallas can run the ball with Tony Pollard, Ezekiel Elliott. Giants can run the ball with Saquon Barkley. I mean, you've, you've got to be able to stop the run in the postseason. And we, for as much as we make about uh, teams like Dallas who can't stop the run, Philadelphia, same thing. Seattle's among the worst in the league. They are, they are down there with teams like Houston, Chicago, teams that cannot stop the run whatsoever. That is Seattle's biggest weakness headed into the playoffs. I don't think it's Geno Smith. Look, he was top five in a lot of the, the categories that matter. Completion percentage, pass rating. Geno Smith did a good job this year. I'm worried about his lack of inexperience, 
but he's done a good job this year, given what was expected of him. Uh, it's one of the biggest reasons Seattle even got to the playoffs. That's the Seahawks' biggest weakness. For the New York Giants, another surprise playoff team. What's their biggest weakness? I hate to say it, guys. They're limited at quarterback and at wide receiver. Incredibly, Kenny Galladay still probably their second best receiver, and he has one touchdown on the year. Darius Slayton, they've got him. They've got other guys, but the Giants are as limited receiver as any team in the National Football League. Uh, and Daniel Jones. Listen, folks, I like him. But asking him to be your franchise quarterback, the quarterback that, as I say, can take you there with his arm and with his legs, at what point have we ever, ever seen that from Daniel Jones? I have a feeling this game Sunday is going to be a throw-off, if you will, against Kirk Cousins, who we know struggles in the playoffs. The guy has done plenty of damage to defenses with, with uh, Justin Jefferson and the other weapons he has. Are we sure that Kirk Cousins is that guy to be able to do that type of damage? I'm sorry, not Kirk Cousins. Uh, uh, Daniel Jones is that guy to do that type of damage. Brian Dable's done a remarkable job with him. But the reason that the Giants are even thinking about extending him is because of Brian Dable. So that's the Giants' biggest weakness. They're, they're, they're weak at probably the two positions in the NFL that you'd least like to be weak at. Quarterback, wide receiver. That's the Giants' biggest problem. Their division rival, the Dallas Cowboys, their biggest weakness, offensive line is awful. And weapons are below average. Cowboys offensive line, bottom three in the NFL this year in pass block win rate. And aside from CeeDee Lamb, who separates as well as anybody in the NFL, Dalton Schultz is in the 70s in terms of separation. Michael Gallup and Noah Brown are in the 100s in terms of separation down the field. So we talk about Dak Prescott's interception issue, and some of those picks, as I said, have been absolutely Dak Prescott's fault. But you got to sit back, sit back and say for a minute, time out. He's having to fit balls into tiny, tiny windows that other quarterbacks simply are not asked to fit them in because of the talent they have around them at wide receiver, tight end, and elsewhere. Uh, Dallas has a plenty good enough running game with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Uh, and, the off, and the offensive line does a good job in run blocking, which, as we all know, is easier than pass blocking. Or, sorry, yeah, easier than pass protection. Uh, but the offensive line has struggled. Dak hasn't had time to throw in terms of receivers separating down the field. That's been no bueno. That's the Cowboys' biggest weakness going into these playoffs. As for the team they're going to face on Monday night, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, what is their biggest weakness? Their offense is a complete roller coaster. Mostly been down. But in the times it's gone up, such as when they faced Kansas City, put up 31 points on the board. Yeah, a few weeks later, they put up three on Carolina. Those are good defense, by the way. But you, you don't know what you get from their offense. They can't run the ball with Rashad White and with, with Leonard Fournette, which, as Byron Leftwich pointed out last week, that's not as big of an issue as people are getting it credit for because they couldn't run the ball last year. However, Mike Evans, up until that game against Carolina, had not scored a touchdown since October. Tom Brady has had one of the worst seasons of his career. Okay, Chris Godwin's had a good season, but it's taken him a while to get a rhythm coming out of his ACL surgery from a season ago. Julio Jones, and I love Julio. Julio's a first ballot Hall of Famer in my book. Man, he struggles to stay healthy and to separate at this advanced age and stage of his career. Russell Gage has not been near the the, uh, the difference maker that I thought he would be. The Bucks signed him. So offensively, and, and offensively. Not pushing the ball down the field. They're really not effective unless they go into tempo, hurry up offense. Uh, that's the Buccaneers' biggest weakness going into these playoffs. For the Minnesota Vikings, their biggest weakness has to win close. Otherwise, they get bullied. Okay. 
Of the Vikings' 13 wins this season, 11 of them have been one-score games. Of the games they have lost this season, you look at the Minnesota Vikings uh, going back to week two against the Philadelphia Eagles. They lost that game by a final score of 24-7, to 17-point margin. They did not lose a game until they faced the Dallas Cowboys, in which they lost by 37. Their next loss came at the hands of the Detroit Lions by 11. And their final loss of the regular season came to the Green Bay Packers, 41-17, to 17, a 24-point margin. If they do not win close, oh, it is it is good night, Irene. They get smoked. They look bad situationally when they're trailing big outside of when they played the Colts, who are even worse situation than probably any team in the league. We know Kirk Cousins' uh, uh, success or lack thereof in the playoffs. We know that for a lot of these Minnesota Vikings, guys like Justin Jefferson, TJ Hawkinson, this is their first playoff run. Not to mention, by the way, folks, their defense is just awful. Uh, their, their secondary has been burned multiple times this year. It's the worst pass defense in the National Football League. Uh, yeah, the, the Vikings are, are bad, bad, unless they went close. For the San Francisco 49ers, their biggest weakness, they don't really have one. Their biggest weakness is just a fact. No rookie quarterback has ever led a team to the Super Bowl in the history, in the now 57-year history of the National Football League, or of the Super Bowl, rather. Can Brock Purdy be the first? We don't know. We've loved what we've seen from him this season. He's been far from a game manager. He's pushing the ball down the field. He's getting the ball accurately to the playmakers on this team. All the Devo Samuel, George Kittle, Ayuk, Jennings, Christian McCaffrey, plenty of weapons on the outside to get the, to get the football to. Brock Purdy's done that better than Trey Lance did in the limited time he got. He's done it better than Jimmy G has, even the fact, even because the fact that Jimmy G has been there for what four or five years. Brock Purdy's been the best quarterback the Niners have had in that span. But no rookie quarterback's done it. Tom Brady did it in year two. Dan Marino did it in year two. But uh, Ben Roethlisberger did it in year two, although he was mostly led by the running game and the defense. But outside of that, I don't really see a weakness on this Niners roster. To me, they are head and shoulders above everybody else in the NFC. Uh, we've just never seen a quarterback get to the big game or lead his team to the big game. And is Brock Purdy going to be the first? I don't really have an answer. Only time will tell. And finally, Philadelphia Eagles, their biggest weakness, cannot stop the run, and frankly, lack of trust at head coach. Has there been one game this year, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll ask even Philadelphia Eagles fans this. Has there been one game this year where you sat back and like, dang, Nick Sirianni won that game for the Philadelphia Eagles. His coaching is the biggest reason, or one of the biggest reasons that they won this game. No. At no point have you ever thought that at any point. You've questioned at times his clock management. At times against Dallas, I've certainly questioned that. Against the Saints, game planning wise, the bigger the bigger story is running the football. So Tennessee with Derrick Henry did not run the football against Philadelphia. After that, despite smoking the New York Giants, okay, they gave up 123 yards rushing against the Chicago Bears, who we know can run the football. They gave up 157 yards rushing. Against the Dallas Cowboys, they gave up 115 yards rushing. Against the New Orleans Saints, who are completely one-dimensional offensively, they gave up 129 yards rushing. And against Davis Webb and the New York Giants in a game that meant nothing to the Giants, they gave up 129 yards rushing. And teams like the Giants, like the Niners, like the Cowboys, like the Seahawks that can run the football, you've got to be able to stop it. Philly can do it. Philly can beat you at your own game. The 
Can they stop it? Can they get off the field in time for their offense to be able to do some damage in time for Jalen Hurts to try and build any sort of rhythm going into these playoffs remains to be seen. And I have major questions about Nick Sirianni, at head coach, uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. That is their biggest weakness in my view. So there you go. Before I get to the comments, biggest weakness of all the playoff teams. Dolphins, major limitations at quarterback. Ravens, they can't function offensively without Lamar. Chargers, Brandon Staley. Jaguars, struggles in close games due to youth and inexperience. Bengals, if they can't generate pressure, the secondary is toast. Bills, way too Josh Allen reliant. Chiefs, pass defense gets torched against elite quarterbacks. Seahawks, run defense is terrible. Giants, limited at quarterback and wide receiver. Cowboys, offensive line is awful and weapons are below average. Buccaneers, offense is a complete roller coaster. Vikings, has to win close, otherwise they get bullied. Niners, no rookie quarterback has ever led a team to the Super Bowl. And finally, with the Philadelphia Eagles, they can't stop the run and lack of trust at head coach. So there you go. Those are my playoff weaknesses. I think I was 8 for 14 last year uh, on, on these sort of uh, playoff weaknesses with the with the NFL. I think I went 8 for 14 on what kind of got those teams beat in the playoffs. Or really 8 for 13 because the Rams won the Super Bowl, so their weakness didn't get them beat. So there you go. Uh uh, Grady Edwards asked a question, a question that's often been asked by many in the media. How about them, Cowboys? How about them, Cowboys? Yeah. yeah. I never get tired of playing that bite. I will say that. Grady Edwards asked, is the Buccaneers' path to the NFC Championship game really Dallas, then the Vikings or Giants? Lord. Well, let's see. So they'll play Dallas. If the Giants, okay, the only way, now they play the Vikings. Okay, the only way for them to play the Giants or Vikings. Tampa Bay, that is, in the second round. Is if, actually, I don't know if they can play. Yeah, they, okay, the only way for them to play, I, I had to play that playoff scenario in my head. Okay, Grady, the only way for the Bucks to play the Vikings or Giants in the second round is if they is if the Seahawks somehow upset the 49ers. Because then the Seahawks, as the lowest seed in the conference, would go to the highest seed in the conference, Philadelphia, and Tampa Bay, if they beat Dallas, would play the winner of Minnesota and the New York Giants. But if that is the case, yeah, we may be seeing Tom Brady in the NFC title game for the second time in three years. Patrick Brown says, love these segments, bro. Very insightful and informative. Keep up the great work. You as well. Right back at your brother. I appreciate it. Hopefully, we can have Patrick on the show soon sometime during these playoffs. I'd like to have a lot of guests on the show uh, during the postseason because I think this is going to be one of the more interesting runs that we've seen in a while because AFC loaded at quarterback. NFC, we got questions about literally everybody. Even the 49ers who have the best team have a rookie quarterback. He's played well, but he is still a rookie. So I think it's, it's, it's important to keep all those things in mind going forward. But playoffs start in two days. Can't wait for it. With that said, that is all the time we have for on, on today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving It Up Live tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, Facebook Live, YouTube, Twitter. Also be sure to like, share, comment. Hit that big red subscribe button. Take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button as well as the notification bell. Just uploaded a new video about the Packers collapse against the Detroit Lions late season. Uh, once again for Aaron Rodgers uh, coming up short. Biggest moments. Uh, so go check that video out. It's on uh, the Carving Up YouTube channel now. I'm working on getting it on the Grid YouTube channel as well. 
And speaking of the grid, please subscribe to the Grid Podcast Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Network. That is where you can find my show. You saw Patrick Brown in the comments, the Chaotic Sports Podcast. Patrick Brown there. Barry Grant Jr., All Even Podcast. Ryan Flowers, Clutch Sports Talk. Alfred Parsar Jr., Rocket Fuel Jets Podcast. And, of course, the Cowboys Cam Fan Podcast. My friends over uh, in Canada. Canada, eh? Had a great show yesterday, uh, last night, ironically, with another member of the grid, Barry Grant Jr. So be, be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Podcast Network. That is also where you can listen to my show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Anchor. Ang- I said it again. I said it's not an anchor. My bad. It's not an anchor. I said that again in my head. I was so used to saying that for like a, a year and a half. I have to get that out of my head. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, as well as wherever you listen to your podcast. We're predicting playoff games on the show tomorrow, folks. I cannot wait. Have a great evening, everybody. Please continue to stay safe out there. Please take sure, be sure to take care of your physical and your mental health. God bless you all. Peace out. Playoffs. We're talking about playoffs. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.